Hello and welcome to the first episode of Supplycast, a new podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Our first guest, it's an obvious one I suppose, is Simon Walsh. Hello Simon. Good afternoon Bruce, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I was thinking about introducing you briefly as a procurement veteran, uh, but, but some people react very, um, how shall I say, touch of chagrin to, to that, to a veteran status. How do you feel about that status? I'm proud of it, to be honest, good, Bruce. I've, good, good. Uh, I've enjoyed my career and 33 years on, absolutely proud of it. Now you're um, procurement director, uh, Manchester University Hospitals. I am indeed. You're also a Deputy Chief Officer at the Healthcare Supply Association. A very humble deputy to Mr. Alan Hoskins, our Chief Officer. Yeah. And uh, I suppose the thing to begin with is maybe just quickly, how did you how, how did you find yourself in this predicament? <laughs> predicament as in the yeah. job, or job, predicament yeah. as in <laughs> the job. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, left university at 21 in 87, yeah. uh, looking for a role, looking for a job really, to be honest. Mm. And uh, so a job advertised as clerical officer for the Northwest Regional Supplies Department at Rossendale. And uh, a chap called John Cooper, who some of the uh, viewers and listeners will know, offered me that job. And I've stayed in ever since, really. Did you, when you, came into it procurement did you imagine yourself staying in in this as a, as a career for as you say 30 plus years or was I it never the kind imagined of thing myself mm. but people tell me that i'm quite a stable person yeah. i like stability mm-hmm. i like tradition i like to know where i am so the fact i've only ever lived in two houses in my life right I'd probably say so yeah really. so Whilst I didn't think I'd be in 33 years on, mm. thinking about me and what people say about me, I think uh, it probably was predictable. But thankfully, at 21, I just didn't know it. I was very naive. Now, without wishing to uh, embarrass you at all, whenever I've seen, you know, since I've been involved in, in, in this industry, working with you guys at HCSA, um, it's occurred to me that um, quite a few people have mentioned you as in almost an a inspirational or mentor type way. So there's obviously people that have a lot of respect for you, um, the, the experience you have in the industry, et cetera, et cetera. Did you have a mentor at any stage? Is there anyone you could point to to say, yeah, that was he was important in terms of my time in this industry? Yes, I think uh, I'm very fortunate to still be in contact with the person who appointed me. 33 years ago, John, John Cooper. And uh, to keep that contact, to still be in contact with the person who interviewed me, who uh, saw me on my first day, who's been there throughout my career, I think is something which I feel very blessed about. And uh, John always says to me that he will be there on my final day. (laughs) So I'm sort of hoping that that's not yet, probably five or six years off, touch wood. But yeah. uh, wouldn't that be nice for me to have the same person on the final day as I had on the first day? But I've been very lucky to, to have line managers, to have colleagues, to have staff when I've managed teams. 
all of whom I've learned so much from and watching their behaviours, the way they respond to issues, the way they deal with people. I think everyone looks at what your first manager did or your second manager did and hopefully people now look at what I do and see the things I get right but equally the things I get wrong and hopefully take a little bit of that away in how they deal with issues and staff and colleagues and all the challenges we have. Now, if this was 2019, I would have been asking you a, a question that might have been potentially quite difficult to answer or you'd have to give it some thought, which is what's been the most uh, testing period of your career. But being as it's no longer 2019, it's 2020, we all know the answer to that is obviously going to be COVID. But I suppose I was just wondering, since I've come into the industry, did you ever conceive of something like this happening? No, I think we'd seen the impact of winter. Mm. We'd seen the impact of, for example, the Gulf War. We'd seen the impact of flu. You know, all NHS procurement staff face various challenges, whether that be relocation, new bills, etc., cost savings, whatever it is. Uh, and we've got a tremendous track record across NHS procurement to finding solutions. That's what we're about. But to be faced with what we've faced these past few months, many of the territories uncharted, many of the waters very, very choppy. Uh, I think I would have struggled to predict that. What do you think, what's been most surprising about it? Has it just been the sheer scale? Um, has it been, um, you know, difficulties in, in, in finding suitable PPE in a suitable amount in order to um, to be able to cover for, 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 for frontline workers. Um, is it, what aspect is it of it? Because obviously there's a lot of moving parts to this and, there's, and that's one of the reasons clearly why there's, there's been a difficult period. But is there one particular area that it surprised you, perhaps surprised you in terms of the difficulties that have come from it? It has been a really multifaceted challenge, uh, nationally, regionally, locally, for individuals. And I think I'm always mindful when I comment that however extreme the challenges we faced compared with the challenges of those who are occurring for sick people, those have relatives, mm. etc. Indeed, those who have people who have passed away, those challenges pale into insignificance. But in answering the question, I think the biggest thing that's probably surprised me is the scale, the sheer seismic impact on everything we did and everything we do, the sheer volume of requests, the impact on the hospital and the community services, the size of the expectation on NHS supply chain and SCCL, the sheer scale of it all. And at one stage, we were planning for a significantly greater scale than even the, you know, the great scale we got. For example, we were involved in establishing the NHS Nightingale Hospital Northwest in, uh, in Manchester. Yeah. We were planning for a thousand plus beds to be occupied at one stage. So size, scale and shape was the biggest surprise to me. You said that you worked on NHS Nightingale. Um, to, as, from an outside point of view, that seemed like quite an impressive job that was done in a quick period of, of time. 
Um, as I understand it, I believe that they're kind of they're on stand down, but obviously the preparation is there for ready to stand second up wave. seven days' notice. Yeah. yeah. Um, what what was it like being involved in that? I guess you must have a lot of um, pride in being involved in wiping. Absolutely, in that game. I think. Uh, for those who work in NHS procurement, they'll know the pride, the satisfaction of uh, equipping new wards, opening new buildings, seeing new services develop. Um, we like to buy new things, we like to see shiny things there. Mm. And working as part of the NHS Nightingale project and seeing the staff in my team uh, in NHS Share Business Services, who we work very closely with, the links we made with NHS Supply Chain in NHS England. I think the spirit there, the teamwork, the feeling that you were genuinely building, you were constructing something new that you didn't want to see used or even, mm, mm. you know, sort of fully occupied, but you were building it, you were having it ready, you were part of an absolute tremendous effort to prepare for the worst. And that gave it a sort of spirit and an atmosphere, which I think is very, very hard to replicate. Hopefully we won't have to replicate, but it was absolutely magical, Bill. Magical. Can you take that as a potential? It sounds a bit of an odd word to use in this context, but can you always take that as a bit of a, I'm not sure positive is the right word, but can you take some solace, I suppose, from the fact that, you know, I'm guessing procurement teams, the procurement, the NHS procurement in general, as, a, as, a, as an area, is never going to be quite the same again, is it? I guess people have worked closer than they ever before. I guess they've they've been more reliant on their um, colleagues than they ever have before. Is that something to take away from this? Absolutely. I think in any crisis and in any very challenging situation, to keep going, to keep people motivated, to keep morale up, to deliver, you've got to try and pluck the things which... I wouldn't say a positive again, very loath to call anything positive out of Yeah, yeah. But across NHS procurement, you look at the, I'll, I'll use the phrase positive, the relationships with our clinicians, hmm. the role of procurement in the trust, uh, the work of NHS supply chain to ramp up the supply of PPE despite all the challenges and all the problems, the hard work of those staff, the drivers and the pickers, uh, and also, I think as well, that sheer feeling of camaraderie. We're all in it together. Nobody was in the back office. Everybody was working together. And then ultimately, I think that that absolute requirement to make sure that personal protective equipment was available to clinicians when they needed it and where they needed it. And ultimately, that responsibility fell on trust procurement staff. Mm. And that was an absolutely tremendous responsibility. Very, very worrying at times, but very rewarding as well. So how did you feel? Do you, do you, do you feel that, um, I know you're not necessarily in it for plaudits, but as a whole, do you think the procurement community has had enough credit for how they've risen? to this challenge? Because obviously it's very difficult when people from the outside maybe are just seeing the fact that, well, there's still a PPE issue or there was for, for a period of time. Do you, I mean, do you, do you think there was enough credit given? I mean, obviously the um, Health Secretary, Matt Hancock, did actually um, uh, pay tribute to the staff, did. which um, didn't appear to be particularly, you know, poked in order to do so. 
there seems to be some sort of awareness there about what you guys were doing. Do you feel you've got enough credit, if that's the right word again, during the period? I think all NHS procurement staff are very mindful that they're there to support and to do the mm. job. Uh, they're also very mindful that they have to motivate and support their own staff. And I think every procurement director, every head of procurement is very keen for their staff to be recognised. Uh, and I think that's happened right across the NHS. Yeah. The number of thank yous which have been received, the Twitters, the emails, etc. The recognition of the staff, whether they be seconded staff, agency staff, bank staff, substantive staff, the work they did right across NHS procurement to ensure that personal protective equipment was there. And I think that, in many ways, is the plaudit, is the recognition. I was really pleased we got the recognition from the Secretary of State. I was really pleased that Lord Hunt, our president, could speak in the House of Lords and thank NHS procurement staff. And uh, the Minister in the House of Lords reciprocated that thanks. I think all that is important because their work, the work of NHS procurement staff across the country, national, regional, local, needs as much recognition as it deserves. And believe me, it deserves tremendous recognition for what people have done these past few months. I have never experienced such a collective effort and individual dedication as that which we have seen these past four or five months. Immensely proud, immensely <laughs> proud. And do you, do you feel confident if there was a second wave, do you feel that there's, there's a pr preparation in place from that? Just in, in terms of procurement, in workers, you know, in terms of, you know, they're on the right footing for that. There's a preparation there. Um, without getting into the minutiae, um, do you feel that, that, that there's, you know, everyone's on the right footing for that? Should it, should it come? I think the first thing to recognise in answering that is a lot of our staff right across the system have been through a tremendously challenging time. Uh, materials management staff delivering PPE, wearing PPE themselves, entering areas. Uh, it is it is something that at first does you know sort of take your breath away to be honest. So I think supporting our staff to make sure that the welfare and the health is as what we want them to be mm -hmm. is important. I think secondly, you know, building up our resources making sure that we have teams on standby, the seven-day service, the on-call service, to make sure we are ready. And I think thirdly as well for me, and you know, I say this absolutely uh, so, but we need to be honest about the things that went right first time round. Yeah. So honest about the things which didn't go right first time yeah. round. Be open about that, debate it in a positive way, recognise where the system failed and in part it did, Recognise where the system succeeded, which again it often did, and learn from that and take it forward. And in general, as I sit here now, I think we're in a far stronger position. We've, we've rectified some of the national inventory issues. Each trust has built up its local resilience around staffing, warehousing of PP, etc. And I think in general, we're stronger than we were. Equally, one can never be complacent. As I say to mm. my colleagues, we're confident we can meet the, the demands ahead, but we're never, never going to be complacent. Never. 
So this has obviously been a very difficult period. I, I've been able to see myself the kind of hours that people are working and that kind of thing. Um, how have you been like unwinding when you've had the opportunity to at the height of it? How is you staying sane? I think I'm a very poor unwinder, to be honest. And I think uh, that's something I've learned this past few months as well, that you've got to create a better work-life balance. And I think that's mm -hmm. reflected right across the system when you talk to heads of procurement, procurement directors and the staff. We accepted we had to, I suppose, rewrite the rules on work-life balance in March, April, May. Yeah. Also part of June. But for me, it's about reading. I've been very reading. Uh, I'm very lucky to have... Um, uh, a strong relationship with my partner, so we spend a lot of time together. And also we have two dogs, and I think, you know, for us, dogs always bring you down to earth. Every day for them is a new day. Every routine is a new routine, even though it's yeah. the same as the day before. Yeah. That's how I sort of unwind. But uh, um, holiday have been nice, I think, just to... Yeah. So just to sort of wind this down a bit as we come to what I was talking about, I was kind of... That's very heavy and all that. So I just wanted to kind of like bring it down a bit towards the end, a little bit about your own personal what you like to listen if to. If you some scandal on me, you found out I'm not coming. <laughs> no, I'm not. No comment. Don't, but I this, did in a, in my young wife is wrong. This will get this will get edited. Don't worry about it. Thank you. Um, so I'm just thinking, if someone said to you, these by the way, this is the kind of question I'd hate to be asked, but I quite enjoy asking it. Good. It's, just a, it's just the kind of person I am. I don't want to be asked it, but I'm happy to ask people it. Um, what, if you could take, if you could only listen to one album for the rest of your life, so you're allowed one album that you can listen to the rest of your life, you just have to pick one, and one movie you can watch for the rest of your life, what, what would they be? You know, I'm really bad on music. I listen to such a wide variety of music. There's no shame here. <laughs> but what I'd probably pick is the first ever album that was bought for me back in the 70s, which was uh, a band, you may remember it, because you're of a similar age to myself, Bruce, aren't you? Just a few years younger? A few or, years younger. You look similar, but you may be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mud. A band yeah. called Mud. Yeah. And the first album which was bought for me. Uh, and I think the famous song on there was Tiger Feet. And then uh, the second question was... Movie. One movie. Movie, right. It's the only well, movie you can now watch from now on. Oh, tell you what. I live with somebody who can watch a film probably 30, 40 times and still watch it again. <laughs> I'm a bit of a soppy person. I'm a bit of a romantic. Yeah. Uh, I cry very easily. So yeah. I'd pick a film called Somewhere in Time. I know that. Christopher, Christopher Reeve. Christopher Reeve and mm -hmm. Jane... Can't think of a second. Jane Seymour. Yeah. Where Christopher Reeve goes back in time, falls back in love with Jane Seymour, uh, spends time with her, and then ultimately they walk away together in the sunset. Uh, well, in the in the white clothes, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I could watch that film tons of times. I've watched it tons of times. I love the music. Yeah. I always cry at the end because I'm a soppy, absolutely state of the mess at the end of the film. Yeah. But for me, it's just a lovely film, lovely music, and also lovely actors. And Christopher Reeve, for me, will always be Superman. So I like that film. That's your sort of comfort zone, is it? 
I like so those kind of stuff, that kind yeah. of romantic stuff. But I also like history. I like a bit of, I like a bit of Spartacus, etc. Mm-hmm. Equally, I can watch Armageddon fifty yeah. times just yeah. for the music. Yeah, that's great. Okay, well, I think that's going to uh, do this for this first episode. Thank you very much for joining Thank joining you. me for this, and uh, we'll be back uh, next time for the next episode of Supply Cost. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity.